recently have been watching. Uh, I just finished an NBC show called The Good Place. Has anybody seen that? Okay. The premise is very simple. Um, it's set in the afterlife, and in the afterlife that they have come up with, um, there are two places that you can go. You can go to The Good Place, or you can end up in the bad place. Sounds familiar, right? So the show follows a woman named Eleanor. And Eleanor wakes up to find out that she died and has ended up in the good place. Hopefully this works. Uh, and she is, of course, happy that she's there. Um, she's hearing from all this from the immortal being who's kind of in charge of her little neighborhood in the good place. And uh, she soon realizes that there's been a mistake and that she's actually not supposed to be in a good place. Because all the things that um, Michael, the immortal being, is telling her about her life and like, oh, I can't, you know, we're so excited that you're here because you got all those inmates off death row as a lawyer and, and this was your trip to Ukraine to help children. And she's silently freaking out because she didn't do any of those things. <laughs> so... She realizes that she's there by mistake, but she wants to stay because it's a good place. And so she convinces someone that she needs to give her ethics lessons so that she can learn how to be good in the good place. So I'm hoping that this video will work. This is a little clip of her interaction with somebody that she's confided in about this problem and who has agreed to help her learn how to be a good person. Is there a moral imperative to help you? Do I have a greater obligation to my community? Are you picking someone else's spot? Someone who deserves to be here? Ooh, on that question, I honestly think I was just put here by mistake. Because Michael called me Eleanor Shellstruck, so he knows I'm me. He's just wrong about my overall quality level. Please help me, man. I swear I am worth it. Tell me one fact that you know about me. We spent the whole day together. You must remember something. What country am I from? Is it racist if I say Africa? Yes, and Africa is not a country. I'm from Senegal. Do I have any siblings? Where did I go to college? Trick question. You didn't. I was literally a college professor. Do you not remember one single thing about me? Dude, this nuts around here. I bet you don't know anything about me. You were born in Phoenix. You went to school in Tempe. You're an only child. Your favorite show is something called The Real Housewives of Atlanta. And your favorite book is Kendall Jenner's Instagram feed. <laughs> How did you know that? Because you are constantly talking about yourself. You are the most self-obsessed person I have ever met. This is my fear about you, Eleanor. You are too selfish to ever be a good person. Well, I think you're wrong. What country am I from again? Look, the only thing that you're concerned with is your own happiness. That's your problem. Right, guys? Give it to me. 
the record, I did that out of principle because it absolutely had to be one. And I checked the other one and I didn't figure it out by processing it.
And so we go back and forth. So shalom is a beautiful picture of peace in its fullness with all of creation. If any part of creation is hurting, there is not the fullness of shalom. We get a taste of it, and that's fantastic in our relationships and the healing we experience. Uh, but we don't get the fullness. And we need to remember that interconnected reality of shalom. And so, because I cannot experience shalom, if you are not experiencing shalom, I cannot flourish if you are not flourishing. And on and on we go. Father Greg Boyle is the founder of an organization called Homeboy Industries. Um, some of us were just talking about him the other day. But it's in Los Angeles. It's the largest gang intervention and rehabilitation and reentry program in the world. And Father Greg is passionate, passionate about kinship. He uses the word kinship a lot in the work that he does and the speaking that he does. And living in kinship with each other. And this is what he says about it. He says, kinship is not serving the other, but being one with the other. Jesus was not a man for others. He was one with them. There is a world of difference in that. And similarly, compassion is not a relationship between the healer and the wounded. It's a covenant between equals. In the verses that um, Magdiel just read for us, at the end of the verses it says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. And I think we sometimes want to read scripture as a hierarchy. We want to hear that Jesus had compassion on them because he saw they were the sheep. He was the shepherd. That's the separation. And so he is going to come down and help them because he feels bad for them. But if we consider compassion as a relationship between equals, the engaging that Jesus does with people is different. And I love that. I love that picture. The, the utter mutuality that Father Greg talks about um, and lives out in the work he does is not an us and them, but it's a us with each other. My well-being is dependent on your well-being. And oh, how we need to grab a hold of that right now. There is so much going on in our lives, in our country, in our world, that we would much rather pretend isn't happening. There are people hurting. And if my well-being is dependent on your well-being, and your well-being isn't very well, I have to acknowledge that. Um, a lot of people love the quote from Martin Luther King that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. How many of you have heard that? It gets used a lot, MLK, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and justice issues. But a lot of people haven't either read the context around it or don't consider it much. It comes from, um, it's an excerpt from the letter from the Birmingham Joe. 
And that letter, in that letter, um, Dr. King is so cognizant of the pain that is past his work, that is not right where he is, that he is addressing the fact that there are things that need to be done past this place that I'm in. And not just because he was in jail at the time, but bigger scale. So the, the, the paragraph that that comes from, I'm going to read it to you. Moreover, I am cognizant of the interrelatedness of all communities and states. I cannot sit idly by in Atlanta and not be concerned about what is happening in Birmingham. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with the narrow, provincial, outside agitator idea. Anyone who lives inside the United States can never be considered an outsider. That is shalom. That is saying that my well-being is dependent on your well-being. And if you are not well, I am not well. And I embrace that and I receive that. Just this weekend. A young man was shot and killed in his own apartment. His own apartment. Somebody mistook his apartment for theirs and walked in and shot him. A young black man in Texas. And if I want to say that that is isolated and that that happened on its own and that that's not here and that I feel very sad for the family, but Texas is really far away. That is not living a life that embraces God's shalom. Because that family, that community, and the people that it touches more indirectly than me, who are hurting, they are not well. And if I'm not willing to see that pain and acknowledge that I can't be okay, then I am not pursuing God's shalom. The incarnation of Jesus, God's humanity and divinity, all in one body, is our sort of perfect picture of what it means to be human. Because if Jesus was a perfect human, that means his humanity is ideal, right? It is our example of what it would mean to live a full life. Obviously, there are some differences. He was a man, I am a woman. We're in very different places. But generally speaking, his Jesus' humanity is the perfect picture of humanity. And Jesus, in his life, we see the ways that he did life with people, not just for people. We know Jesus to be the servant of all servants, but Jesus did life with people. In Mark, where our passage comes from, it's one of the synoptic Gospels. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm calling them a Gospel essentially means that they follow the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. And three of those, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptic Gospels because there's so much overlap in the stories. They're written by different authors, two different people, um, different styles even. Um, but they utilize a lot of the same stories. So Mark is one of the 
synoptic gospels. Mark is the shortest synoptic gospel, but still has about 90% of the content from the other gospels in it. So it is packed, packed in. I have heard the gospel of Mark described as the gospel for New Yorkers. <laughs> yeah, because in the book, um, the Greek word euthis, which is translated as immediately, or like right then, happens 40 times. 40 times in the shortest gospel, immediately Jesus went there. Immediately Jesus started teaching. Immediately Jesus was sent to the desert. Immediately this person did this other thing. It's immediate, 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 over and over again. I think in the first chapter, like a, at least 10 times. Mark just dives in and is like, Jesus was getting things done. The reason it's so short is because there's very little dialogue. It is action. It is action and details. And Mark sends Jesus here and there, and then he did this, and he was constantly working, constantly healing someone or teaching or going to this new place or sending someone else. The Gospel of Mark is the Gospel for New Yorkers. Immediately, immediately, immediately. How appropriate is that as a general theme for our lives? We try to fit as much as we can, 90% of all the things, into the smallest space that we can. I feel like the Gospel of Mark is the Gospel for our current lives in this place. We go, we go, we go. Immediately, immediately, immediately. Right then. But here's the difference. Nowhere in the book of Mark do we get the sense, author does not give us a sense that Jesus was rushed. He does not give us a sense of Jesus um, hustling. There's no, there's none of this hustle that we often think of when we think of um, something happening immediately or rushing from one place to another. That's how we do like We rush. Um, immediately I had to go there, so I was in a rush. Immediately this thing needed to get done, and so I had to hurry. But Jesus doesn't look like that. He lives with this kingdom urgency. There's this sense in the book of Mark that things need to get done, that action needs to be taken. In order to live with people, Jesus needs to do these things. But we don't see Jesus forgetting things, running behind, running into somebody who's like, oh, no, actually, you know, I was supposed to be here like an hour ago, and so, like, we're just, I'm going to, I'll come back. I'll come back. We'll get to that later. There's none of that. It's simply that Jesus feels the urgency because he is with the people. He is with the people. It is so easy to get caught up in the hustle. I am good at it. I'm very good at hustling. I can hustle to get places. I can hustle with my to-do lists. Um, I can hustle for my worthiness, convincing myself that if I get more things done, then people have more reasons to like me and to accept me and to love me. But that's not the example that Jesus sets. There's action and there's detail in the book of Mark, but there is not hustle. And I have, I have, I think, been told about our interconnectedness as humans for a very long time. I've thought about it a lot. I've been in seminary. Um, this idea of shalom has been there for me. I took a class on it in undergrad. I remember nothing I learned in that class. <laughs> but my brokenness, I feel like, has 
taken over that interconnectedness. That concept, it's the way that I think about being connected to people is now it's it's more so, yes, I am we are connected. And that's why I need you to like me a lot. Yes, we are connected, and that's why I'm gonna do as much as I can for you so that you think I'm very great. That's the connectedness that I tend to live my life in and out of. But God has been convicting me. God has been con convicting me recently about the way that my well-being being dependent on your well-being. It means that my well-being matters. Because if you are dependent on me and I am dependent on you, if either one of us is having a hard time, it affects each other. And if that hard time is something that I can help, if that hard time is simply because I did not eat today, that impacts you. So, I tend to pour out and pour out and pour out, and that's what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to serve each other. In the book of Mark, chapter 10, it says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. This is Jesus talking. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. If Jesus didn't come to be served, then I certainly don't need to be served, right? Or in chapter 8, that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So it really doesn't matter what I need because I am supposed to deny myself completely for the sake of the gospel. Let me be very clear. That was sarcasm. <laughs> no. I am not saying no to this verse. But I want you to all hear me say that yes, you matter. Yes, your needs matter. Because we are connected. Because that service that we're supposed to live out can't happen well if we are not well. In Mark, Jesus also shares with the religious leaders they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I think this, that the view of this verse that I'm going to share with you is getting more traction, which is great. But to love your neighbor as yourself requires a love of self. It requires that. Because if I can't stand myself, if I don't think I am worth taking care of, that's about as far as I'm going to love you. Hmm. Because we can't love past what we practice. And who do you practice loving day in and day out, every minute, every second of every day? Self. That's who you do life with the most. And I get it can be a complicated relationship sometimes. But if Jesus, who is fully God and fully human,
did not keep himself from caring for his humanity, then we really need to care for our humanity. Because we don't have that fully God part. We're just fully human in God's image. And Jesus does embrace self-care. If anybody tells you otherwise, let's have a conversation. Jesus takes care of himself. In our verses that Magdale read, it says that the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. They've been working. They've been doing the work, pouring themselves out. And because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Jesus tells them to do that. And granted, in this particular passage, they start the process. They get in the boat, they're getting that quiet, that solitude time, probably a little bit of rest, maybe some taking turns. But then they get to the other side, and the people have beat them there. And that is where Jesus' compassion shows. But if Jesus had been going from person to person to person to group to teaching to healing to helping, that particular group of people might have been too much in the moment for him or his, his disciples. But they got away a little bit. And they were able to have compassion on the people who needed them. They were able to do life with the people who wanted to do life with them. So, what does that mean? What do we do? The rhythm of being interconnected necessitates that we take care of ourselves. If I believe that my well-being is dependent on your well-being, then I need to actually care about my well-being. And I can't expect you to do that because that puts too much pressure on you. I have to be aware. I have to take care of myself because it takes energy to do the work that we do. And we have work to do. You each have a holy calling. And I'm not just talking about job. I believe that your jobs can be a holy calling. Completely. Not just as a place to witness, but in the work that you do. And I also believe that we are called to justice in this world. Love and justice go hand in hand. So there is work to be done. And if we are not preparing ourselves to do that work, Then what? I have been in a transitional season of my life, finishing seminary, becoming a pastor here, starting my, starting my licensing, um, other life changes that have come up, and I have been tapped. I have been so tired. And that is valid. Sometimes what happens in life wears you out. And this is, do not hear me saying that you are supposed to just have energy for all the things that you do all the time, no matter what. Sometimes life happens. But I also have been becoming more aware of the fact that I have not been taking good care of myself. To the point where, a few weeks ago, I realized when I see somebody on the street who looks like they can use a conversation or some help or some interaction, I don't want to. I, I do that, go to the other side of the road, because I am exhausted. And that's not to say that it's never okay 
to take care of yourself in that way, but I did not need to be as exhausted as I was. I wasn't taking care of myself. So that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ways that we can pour into ourselves by God's grace so that we have something to offer when the time comes. Because we don't always know when the time's going to come. And we want to be ready. And being ready does not just mean having all the Bible verses memorized. It means being healthy. Healthy and well. So, burnout is real. It's real. It happens when we try to give out of nothingness. That's burnout. And I think sometimes we convince ourselves that taking care of ourselves is selfish. Doing things for ourselves is selfish. And that's what I want to touch on today is that there's a balance. There is a balance. Eleanor needed to be less selfish in order to do life well and to do life connected to other people. Sometimes we need to let go of the fear that we will be selfish in order to connect well with people. So Parker Palmer, he's an author, has an amazing quote, it never gets old to me. Self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have. The gift I was put on earth to offer others. Anytime we can listen to true self and give it the care it requires, we do it not only for ourselves, but for the many others whose lives we touch. <clears throat> Self-care is never a selfish act. And that's why I want to talk about it today, because Jesus participated in self-care. And I think sometimes the line can be kind of fine. So, shalom self-care. <clears throat> is the way that I want to phrase it, because I think self-care gets thrown around a lot by people who maybe aren't talking about the type of self-care that I'm talking about today. And the analogy, while it may be overused, I feel, is still appropriate. If the oxygen level in the cabin dips, an oxygen mask will drop in front of you. Place it firmly on your face and secure it. And then, if you are with somebody who needs assistance, assist them with their oxygen. We need to be breathing in good air before we step into life with someone who needs help figuring out how to even find that air to breathe. Amen. Secure your own oxygen mask first. So there are four things that I want you to remember when it comes to shalom self-care. Self-awareness, Sabbath rest, being helped and boundaries. Okay? Self-awareness. We need to be aware enough to care for ourselves, to know that we need something. And we also need to be aware of how to care for ourselves. And this is a lifelong process. This is not something where like, oh yeah, I figured it out. I figured out what I need when I need it. So I do that and then I can just do life great all the time. Lifelong process, because we change, because we're kind of hard to figure out sometimes, because of 
all the different things that we're going to come up against. We continue becoming self-aware and self-care, shalom self-care makes us more aware. I think that's one of the defining characteristics is that if the self-care that we're participating in is shalom oriented, we learn about ourselves. We notice new things about ourselves. We notice, oh, this is great. This is helping. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember that. Verses 30 and 31, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. He said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. He knew they hadn't eaten. They might not have even known that they hadn't eaten. I did that sometimes. I'm like, going, going, going. That happened at our uh, community bash the other weekend. <laughs> I got up, I think I ate something, and then I started getting things done, and we get to the bash, which is at, it was like at three or four, partway through, and I was like, oh, I don't, I'm kind of dizzy. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why, and then I realized I had not eaten all day. Sometimes we don't realize it. And the temptation to participate in society's self-care versus shalom self-care can be very strong. Society's self-care says that my attempt at self-care must look good. It must make me look good. It must make me look better to other people. And here's a list of all the things that fit into it. Um, think, treat yourself. Think, I earned, think I earned it. Think me time, right? Think, Pinterest perfect back with candles and oils and bubbles or um, a flawless selfie at the top of a mountain. <laughs> do, do not hear me say that those things are bad. Those things can be self-care. They can be under the umbrella, but they are not innately self-care. We need to be aware of the why. Why do I need the selfie on top of a mountain to be perfect? Why is there this desire in me to post it to Instagram? Why do I not want to do that thing anymore and have to do it by myself now if there's nobody around to see me do it? Treat yourself is not a bad way to go. <laughs> Let me tell you, I would love to treat myself to a brand new pair of Nike, Nike Air Max. Having a new pair of Nike Air Max it makes me feel good. It does. I, I have loved them for a very long time. I wear them on days when I know I need a boost. If I get them on sale, I feel very good about myself because I <laughs> saved some money yeah. and treated myself. They give me confidence when I wear them. It is not a bad thing for me to treat myself to a new pair of Nike Air Max, assuming I have funds. But I have to remember that even though they do fill something for me, I almost wear them today because I feel more confident in my Air Max. And I knew I was going to be preaching today, but I thought it might be distracting because I was so good at <laughs> I have to remember that while that can be part of my self-care at certain points, and maybe it's self-care to simply wear them, after I buy them, those new Nike Air Max, a 
as fantastic as they look and feel. Do not fill the exhaustion. <coughs> they do not heal the exhaustion that comes from pouring out and pouring out and pouring out. I cannot work a 50, 60, 70 hour week and take two hours to go shopping for a new pair of sneakers and then dive back into my next 50, 60, 70 hour week and expect to be ready to go. You see what I mean? It's not a bad thing, but that's not shalom self-care in and of itself. That's society self-care a lot of times. I earned it. Here's the thing. We don't earn self-care. We don't. We have earned little to nothing in the grand scheme of God's kingdom. We deserve self-care because we are created in God's image and because Christ lived and died and was resurrected for us. And we can talk about semantics of deserve versus earn sometime, but that's not the point. The point is that we don't earn it. It is part of who we are, created in God's image. So we need to be aware. And our self-care... We need to notice, oh, am I claiming that this is self-care because it's an extra that I want? Or is this actually filling me, making me become more aware of who I am and what God has done for me? Am I trusting more because of it? Sabbath sometimes feels self-explanatory. Throughout the book of Mark, Jesus rests. Jesus was alone to pray, chapter 1, right away. He went alone, went off, and was by himself, and he prayed. In the verses we read last week about the storm, Jesus was sleeping in the stern of the boat. Jesus was literally resting, took a nap, probably really needed it. In our verses today, come by yourselves. Get something to eat. Be alone. And then even past that, Jesus, something comes up and the disciples need to go and he sends them ahead and he goes and he prays. And we know that culturally Sabbath was a very different experience for them. I'm sure that Jesus was also living out a lot of the cultural ideas of Sabbath, taking a Sabbath day. We don't even do that a lot of times. We come to church, which is great and can be restful be a space where we need to let go of other things, but a lot of times we do not set aside 24 hours as Sabbath rest. And I know people who will push back on you about that, say that you really need to. I think that it can be an amazing practice, but the reality is that some of us don't have that luxury. Some of us can't take 24 hours and set it aside. And so Sabbath needs to happen regularly and consistency. We need to be alone and to pray. Solitude is so important. And solitude is not just alone time. Solitude is time alone with God. There's an intentionality behind it. Not a rule. There's no way to do solitude time that's the right way. But solitude time is a time alone with God. And Jesus pursued that throughout his life, his ministry, and his work that he was investing in. Being helped. How many of you like being helped? <laughs> uh, yeah, you like when people help you? 
richly out. <laughs> in chapter 10 of Mark is when Jesus is talking to his disciples who wants to send the children away. And he says, no, no, no. You let those children come to me. Because you need to be like them in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I firmly believe that there are a lot of ways that we need to be more like children. And I think this is a perfect example of one of those ways. Because not one of you adults raised your hands. Maybe you like kind of did and I didn't see it. But we struggle to be helped. I do not like asking for help. I do not like asking for help because I feel weak. I feel um, inadequate. I feel like I couldn't do it by myself, right? And if I ask for help, it also deprives me of an opportunity to prove that I can do it by myself, whether or not I should. But children, when they need something or want something, they will let you know, yes? Yes? You do, huh? Mm -hmm. I was at my sister's bridal shower yesterday, and my cousin brought her baby. And Abigail let us know. She let us know that she did not want to be with anybody but her mama. And she was a very happy, joyous baby until she moved about this far away from her mother. And then, ah! oh, yeah. over and over, and you had to distract her. But she was honest. <laughs> I need my mom right now. How often are we honest about what we need and willing to accept the help that someone offers us? How many times have you carried everything either to or from your car? Even though somebody's like, hey, you want to help with that? And you're like, no, I got it. <laughs> I have my 15 grocery bags or this giant box that someone else could grab the other side of. <laughs> partly for you and partly for me. I have learned to accept help carrying things because Magdalene and Udiel insist on carrying things for me. But we get to be helped by each other. That's also shalom, and that is also self-care. Both the receiving of that and the offering of that and the understanding that that back and forth is not always as simple as it seems. You offer help and someone says no? Okay. Someone offers you help and you say no, and then a little bit later you're like, oh, yeah, I could have used that. And then you go back to them and they say, okay. Helping each other, receiving and offering that help is self-care. The disciples asked Jesus for help when the boat was threatening to be overturned by the storm. Now, granted, they were desperate. They probably tried to do it on their own for a very long time. But eventually they came down and they said, we know you can help somehow. They obviously did not know how because they were terrified and calmed the storm. But they reached out. And they said, we're going to drown. But what are you going to do with us, for us? We need to receive the affirmation, the helping hand, the support. 
we need to practice asking for it. When somebody asks you the next time, what do you need? What can I do for you? Pause. Give yourself a minute. Actually think about it. And sometimes it's a glass of water. And sometimes it's a ride. And sometimes it is just the prayers. But a lot of times we ask for prayer because we're not willing to ask for other things that really would help. And finally, boundaries. This could be a whole sermon series in itself. <laughs> Jesus sent the disciples out. He knew the gospel was not all on him to spread solely. So he sent the disciples out. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belt. <laughs> Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. He asked for their help. He said, I need you to spread the gospel. Short break. And he said, have boundaries. If somebody does not receive what you have to say to them, my message, don't let it settle in your spirit. You did your work. Shake the dust off your feet and go. Boundaries can mean a lot of different things. That's one of them. We take care of ourselves by not taking on what is not. That does not mean not having empathy and sympathy and care for other people's experiences like the shalom we're talking about. My well-being is dependent on your well-being. But I do not have to carry your load. I want to be with you. I want to maybe help with that, but it is not mine to carry. So how do we be it's, this is why I feel like we could do a whole series on it. And I might be doing us a disservice by just touching on something that is so much more vast. But we do life with people. We don't do other people's lives. And we don't expect other people to do our life. And you can say no. It's allowed. If you need to say no, you can say no. That's a boundary. I had a great video to show you, but we're a little short on time, so ask me about it later. That's how we take care of ourselves. We take courageous steps of saying yes when we're called into something difficult, and we take courageous steps of saying no when we need to care for ourselves. It's both. And it's different for every person. Right here I have my succulent. Made a funnel a little bit for it this morning. It looks less thriving than it is because it tipped over in a car this morning. We're just going to go with it's alive. Yeah? Succulents, as many of you probably know, 
take very little work. That's why this one's alive in my house. <laughs> I had some other plants. I was very excited. I bought new pots for them. I was going to replant them in these matching pots put them next to my succulents. They started wilting a little bit, and I was like, that's okay. We'll put them outside. We'll give them a little sun. You know, make sure they have water. One day. I kid you not. One day. And it looked like that. That's not my plant, but they look like just like that. Succulents need care to thrive. They do. Especially if they're in a pot in your house. Other plants also need care to thrive. It's just different. It's different. And it's really helpful if we know what kind of plant we are. I thought I was a succulent for a very long time. I thought I could go and go and go and go, take care of people, and go the extra mile, do extra things. And as long as I had enough sleep, I was good. I could just keep going and going and going. I have learned fairly recently that is not true. I don't know if I'm quite the uh, miniature roses that I sent to an early death. I think I'm a little bit tougher than that. But I'm not a succulent. And we need to learn those things about ourselves so that we can understand the boundaries that we need to set because they're all going to be different. I worked with a student and a boundary that she had is that she doesn't like being hugged. She just doesn't. We're kind of a hugging culture, especially in a small Christian college. Everybody hugs each other all the time, every time you see someone. Especially in churches, too. We hug each other a lot. She had learned that she didn't like to be hugged. And so she had to practice that boundary regularly. And unfortunately, I did not think to ask about her boundary with that once. And I went in for a hug, and she went, and I was like, oh, it's kind of late. I don't know. <laughs>
my well-being is dependent on your well-being. And if I want to flourish, I must care like our God cares for both you and me. Shalom self-care is not selfish. It prepares us for Christ-like compassion. Amen? Amen. 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 Lord, I believe, I believe that you love us so deeply that you want us to be well. I believe that Jesus' example of getting away, of taking care of himself, caring for his disciples, is no small thing, is no coincidence, is no just simple part of the story to get to the serving, serving, serving. Lord, thank you that you are God who cares about how we are doing. And Lord, I pray, I ask for your help and for each one of us to care for ourselves well so that we can do the work, so that we can speak truth, so that we can be in the fight fully and completely for justice. Lord, help us to be moved by the pain of the world around us. Help us to not feel nothing when we hear of the injustices that are happening. And help us to learn how to care for ourselves well so that we can invest ourselves in the stories of the people around us. So that we can do life with each other Show us what kinship means. Show us what self-care means in the light of your shalom. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.